Thank you for listening to this gospel resource from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. Feel free to use or share this resource, but we ask that you not alter the content in any way. For more information about Cornerstone Baptist Church, please visit us at cornerstonewiley.org. Okay, well, for the record, uh, this is January 7th, 2024. It's the first lesson in the book of Job, and I'm Dan Truitt. So good to see you all today. And, um, could somebody, Caleb, would you close that door back there? Could the Charlene, would you do that? That's good. <clears throat> Well, it's really good to be back together, and I'm really excited about our study of the book of Job. It's become my new favorite book of the Bible. I guess that kind of makes sense, but um, looking forward to this study together. Somebody asked, well, why didn't you send out the digital copy? Well, I didn't want to presume who wanted the digital copy, so I didn't do that. But I've got the list of others that have signed up, so I'm going to pass that around. There's a Job column, you can check off your name's already on there. If it's not, you can add it if you want me to send you the digital copy, and I'll send this out today, plus some other notes that I've got, I got for you. So let's pray, and then we'll, and we'll get started. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonder and delight to be here together today. We thank you for the gathering of your people, and, and that Today our desire is to um, is to be a small uh, assembly of your people that would be like uh, that, that that we would find our our pattern of of those uh, angelic beings and your people in heaven with perfect praise and adoration for you and so help us to do that today we know we'll do it imperfectly but we that is our goal and our desire you've given us a heart to love you and to praise you. And we thank you for your word that you've left for us and that by it we can grow in our knowledge of God and that we, we, can, we can see uh, your ways and your love there. And so minister to us by your spirit too. And I thank you for each person in the room today and I pray you would minister to them according to their needs. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so we're in the book of Job. For me, it always it, it felt funny to go to go to the left from Psalms. You know, we probably all learned how you find the you know Psalms are in the middle of the Bible, and, but to go back toward the first of the Bible uh, to get to Job was an interesting <coughs> feeling uh, to me. So I'm looking forward to our <coughs> to our study of Job. The last two studies that we've done, uh, we. I did Proverbs um, a year ago, I guess, last spring, <clears throat> and there we we saw that this is wisdom literature. Job is the is the third book in the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. So Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and and Job. That so we're we're kind of finishing up our wisdom literature study with the, with Job. But in Proverbs, uh, and I think they're in the right order. I think studying them this way is the right order. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and now, and now Job. So in Proverbs we saw the basic concepts of wisdom, that wisdom is not just intellectual understanding or knowledge, it is, uh, it's a relationship with God. And so, uh, as we know, the beginning of 
Wisdom is the the fear of the Lord. So it's a relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. And in Proverbs, we see this basic uh, behavior consequence schematic that if you behave a certain way, you can expect these consequences. And um, so that was really helpful to us. Um, and then in Ecclesiastes, Solomon said, well, wait just a minute. Things don't always work out like I said in, in Ecclesiastes. Um, we learned our creaturely limitations that we know very little and that we can control even, even less and that God is sovereignly ruling his world and his universe and he's ruling our lives sovereignly too. So um, get over it or, or accept it that God's in charge and you're not and we're not. Uh, so accept his rule and enjoy the good things that he provides for us. And so now we come, so, so Job had kind of, I mean, Job, Solomon in Ecclesiastes had kind of a philosophical conundrum with what he had seen in the book of Proverbs. And it was a good step for us to take, for us to understand that, that, uh, uh, that sometimes things don't work out like, uh, like we thought that they should or thought that they would. In fact, uh, Solomon even begins to question some aspects of wisdom. Uh, if you don't know, you can't figure this out. God is too complex and so rest in his sovereignty and rejoice in his good gifts. And so now we come to, um, uh, to, to Job and it ramps it up another level. Uh, kind of like, I mean, I don't think, well, there's a lot to, about when was Job written and who wrote it and you know, what's the setting. And we'll get to some of that maybe uh, today. But... Um, but it brings it to another level. Uh, Solomon had kind of a philosophical, um, kind of a philosophical question in the book of Ecclesiastes. Job said, I got more than that. I got an experiential problem with what's happening to me. Um, so when we think about introduction to the, to the book of Job, really there's kind of two, two parts to it. There's the basic kind of introduction of author, uh, setting, you know, date, time, those kinds of things, uh, outline, <clears throat> things like that. That's the easy one. That's what we're going to do today. Um, the more difficult one for, Proverb, for for Job is purpose, meaning. Why is this book in the in the uh, canon? What's God's purpose for it? If we can discern that. Um, um, what are the questions? That, that this book is seeking to answer, that, that does answer. Um, that's the more difficult stuff. The, 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 what's the theology of, of Job? So I was gonna to try to do both of those today, but I don't think that we can. That's just too much. I'm not quite ready to, to jump into that. But even as we go through the basic introduction, we're gonna to have to delve into some of those things. And so we'll see that, I'll see that as we go. So I'm gonna pass this around now that it looks like we're we're here. This is the the uh, email list from previous classes, and if if you want, and I got a job. There's the job column right there. So if you want to get the the uh, the digital copy of the notes, then just put a check by your name. If you're not on there yet, then you can put it at the bottom. If you need more space, there's some there. So, Rob. Well, thank you. For you're, sure. in a, you're in a you're in a student role now. Aren't you? I am. Yeah. All right. 
Okay. Well, let's uh, let's get started. Um, the outline. So you just kind of look at the outline that I've given you there. There's different kinds of outlines. This was pretty basic. Um, I added some detail on the cycle of the speeches so you can kind of see how that flows. And we'll unpack this uh, some as we go through it. But notice the, the prologue and the epilogue. Um, that's, called, um, the, that's called a framing. The, the prologue is prose. The epilogue is prose. Everything else is, uh, is poetry. So the prologue and the epilogue, they, they frame the story of Job uh, and Job and the, the discussion with his so-called friends and with, uh, <clears throat> with the Lord. The, the framing is very important because we learn things in the prologue and the epilogue that helps us understand what's going on in the story. In fact, we're going to learn, we learn things in the prologue and the epilogue that nobody else in the story knows. And uh, that makes it, it interesting. But there is a, there's a definite difference. The prologue is chapters one and, one and two. Uh, one author says, by the way, I've got these notes. I'm gonna, I'll send them to you. I'll clean up a little bit and send them to you with, the, with this outline digitally. <clears throat> so uh, one author says, not only does the form between the prologue and, uh, and the speeches, not only um, does it change from pro prose to poetry, but the vocabulary also elevates from a simple to a complex register. It's like moving from eighth grade English to, to Shakespearean English. I mean, it just, it just takes off. You have this kind of easy reading prose and there's lots of, and of course, there's lots of uh, drama and energy in the in the prologue. But more when we get to these speeches, it's a it's a whole different ramp up of uh, of intensity. It's interesting. Uh, it's interesting that in the in the prologue, Job is a very uh, very compliant. You know, blessed be the name of the Lord. He's given. He's taken away, and he didn't he didn't sin with his lips. But that's chapter two, but when we get to chapter three, Job has become a very irritated, complaining, this depressed uh, fellow. And obviously that's because his, his suffering has really become intensified. But, um, so just to, so you see the, the, the great distinction between the, the, the narrative, the uh, prose of the prologue, and then the difference that we get into these next, what, uh, 39 chapters, which is the main, the main part of the, of the book. Um, but, the, but the details in the prologue, they really give context to us. You, you wouldn't read this story the same if, you didn't, if we didn't have the, the information that we get from the narrator in the, in the prologue. And that gives the poetic dialogue just a universal kind of uh, profound uh, meaning to it. So let's think about the prologue a little bit. In the prologue, we the readers, uh, we gain information that Job doesn't know. And his friends don't know either. 
and nobody else in the story except God and you if you read the the, uh, the prologue notes. So what's some information? We're not, we'll start studying the prologue probably next week, but some of you know the know what's going on here. What is the information that the narrator gives us in the prologue that Job and his friends don't know? What do we learn in the, in the prologue? God and Satan. Okay. All right. There's this interchange between God and Satan. All right. That Job is blameless. Okay. You know that is that's such an important point. Um, if you if you open the Job, look at and, and who uh, James? How do we know that? Who says that? At the beginning of the book, it says it. Yeah. Who said? Who says it? Whoever wrote the book. <laughs> well, yeah, but in the words. Yeah. Yeah. Look at uh, Job chapter one. Um, yeah, verse, uh, what's that verse? What's that, Rob? Oh, sorry, you're, you're doing good. Yeah, let's see. Uh, yeah, verse. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and turns away from evil. Yeah, that's quite a testimony, isn't it? A blameless and upright man, one who fears God and turns away from evil. This is God's testimony about Job. Do, do you ever wonder, do you ever hope that God and Satan don't have that kind of conversation from, about you? I, I do too. Um, it, but God says this twice. You know, he has these two engagements with, with Satan, the accuser. And, and he says this twice over in uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 3. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth? A blameless man, an upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Pretty much the same, pretty much the same testimony. That's something we know. Um, and Job's friends don't know that. Or they assume something much, uh, much different. Okay, we learn, learn about the sovereignty of God, the conversation between Satan and... and uh, so what do we learn in the conversation between Satan and God? What, what information do we get? to ask God's permission. Okay. Satan's under God's authorities, under, under the sovereignty of God. They communicate. They communicate. Okay. Yeah, well, I mean, this is really interesting. I can't wait to study this more. Uh, this council of, of the gods, I mean, this is just weird stuff. And things we haven't talked about too much. Uh, we're afraid to talk about it, but I mean, I'm not. We're gonna we're gonna work on that next week. Okay. Anything else? What else do we learn? It's a challenge. A challenge. Yeah, because God basically says, "This is you know." First says, "Where have you, Satan? Where have you been? I've been to and fro throughout the earth. Have you considered my servant Job?" God basically says, "This is you know. This is a, one of my servants. He's blameless and so on." And then Satan basically says, "The only reason he follows you is because you bless him." Yeah. But if you take and you, you put a hedge around him, but the minute you strike him or you allow him to be struck, uh, happen to him, he'll curse you to your face. You say he's blameless, you say he's holy, you say he's exempt, he's um, exceptional, but basically it's only because he serves you because of what you give him. Yeah, yeah. And you know, and also, that's a, that's a challenge brought on Job, but it's Satan's attack on the character of God, isn't it? Oh. You're not such a great God. You give people everything they want. No wonder they love you and worship you. And boy, that is going to be a key element in the progress of this story for all, for all of us. Okay. Uh, 
So we learn the, who caused his sufferings, uh, what are the means of his sufferings, sovereignty of God. Um, so this is the information that, that we know that nobody else, that, that Job and his, and his friends uh, don't know. The book of Job has been recognized by Bible scholars uh, as a book about the limits of knowledge. In our, in our book, of, in our study of Ecclesiastes, we saw the same thing. Uh, Solomon would say time and again, uh, you don't know, you don't know, you don't know. You just you know, accept that, that you have a huge limitation in your, uh, in your understanding. The ways of God are too high and too complex for you, Solomon says. So quit demanding complete understanding and trust God and enjoy his gifts. And as we said, now Job brings this to a new level. It's not just a philosophical problem. He's got, he's got a real problem because why is this happening, uh, happening to him? Uh, so, so the narrator or the author, whoever, whoever this fellow person is, we don't know. Uh, we'll talk about that a little later, maybe. So he set up this gap of what we know and what Job doesn't know. And as I've read the book, uh, by the way, it's a hard book to read. I encourage you to read the book of Ecclesiastes in one sitting. I haven't done that in Job yet. In fact, I'm ashamed to tell you how much of Job I've read. It's, it's a hard book to read. I'll talk about that in a few minutes. But when we know these things, it affects how we read the story. When you know about Job's righteousness and, and God's testimony about him, and then you hear the things that Job's friends say about him, you say, well, back off. You know, don't, don't you know? Oh, you don't know, do you? You know, we get upset with his friends, and we want to say, Job, let me tell you something about what's going on here that you don't get. And we don't get to tell him. In fact, nobody ever, ever really tells him. So we have this, because we have this, the narrator's. Uh, information. It, it is our unique privilege as we read. But now let's kind of take another step as we'll do, do more in the, as we study the book. So as readers we have this unique privilege of knowing, knowing what's going on behind the scenes of the story. But in reality we have the same problem that Job has. We don't know. Uh, particularly when we go through times of suffering and, and trial and distress. Um, we find ourselves in this story with an enormous amount of ignorance in the mysterious working of God in, in the world and in our, in our lives. So the book of Job teaches us the significance of our human ignorance. So think about that for a minute. The importance of the ignorance of Job in this whole, whole thing and how it affects his behavior and how he cries out for... Um, for knowledge, uh, one author that I, that another author that I, that I uh, quoted, I'll send you this. Uh, a fellow named Michael Fox. It's not Michael J. Fox, the Back to the Future guy, by the way. But he could probably benefit, doesn't he? Have a yeah, Parkinson, so he could. So we don't make light of him and his situation. This is another another Michael Fox. Listen to this to this statement. Michael Fox observes that the ignorance of God's ways and purposes is a precondition of piety. 
this very ignorance of God's ways is a precondition of our of our piety. So let that ferment for just a moment. That's what sets up the conflict here. That's or one of them. I, I haven't studied the book yet, so I don't know where all the conflicts are. But but the fact that Job doesn't know and has to and, and he's yet called by his faith to be faithful to God, to honor, to trust God. His ignorance sets up um, the opportunity for his for his piety. Um, you know, um, so so we we saw in the prologue that Satan's challenge was to God. If you take everything away, uh, pe people that you say love you, they will they will curse you. But there seems to be even another point here, and that is. Um, if you take everything away and bring suffering to their lives and don't tell them what you're doing, that adds another dimension of a test on your people. Will they still love you when they don't even when they can't discern what you're uh, what you're doing? Um, Job's friends. But let's look at Job's friends. I, we should put Job's friends in quotation marks, shouldn't we? Look in. Uh, uh, Chapter 2, let's just do a little excursus here on Job's friends. Chapter 2, verse 11. By the way, we know Job was a very, Job was a very wealthy man, maybe the, the wealthiest in the, in the part of the world where he lived. So we assume these three friends are too. They're a wealthy upper class. They live in different places, but they, they make up, well, we'll see. Let's read verse 11. Job 2, 11. Now, when Job's three friends heard all of this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort. So they obviously didn't get there overnight. I think this took maybe days or weeks for them to get together and come. Go, so okay, verse 12. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground. Seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him. Now these, if we stop right there, these are awesome friends, aren't they? <laughs> they didn't say anything to him. They just sat, sat with him. Uh, but they, they understood the wisdom of Proverbs. Now, you know, again, we don't know the timing of all this. There's very, very clear evidence that, that the story of Job probably took place back in the patriarchal period, maybe Abraham or even, even pre-Abrahamic. So we don't know when they might have, you know, when, well, we just don't know. But see, we don't, see, that's a clear answer that we don't know. Um, but they were great friends here. But they knew the theology, this behavior, consequence, connection. I mean, it seems obvious that they did, that they did. And boy, after seven days, they could not resist the explication of their theology to Job. And that is, Job, there's some consequences going on in your life, and that reveals some, some behavior problems that you have, and we're going to help you with that. And uh, boy, that's when things... Uh, fell apart. <clears throat> I was thinking about that. That you know, we're working on being better counselors here, and 
Well, this is a huge counseling uh, instruction for us. It is for me. Um, you know, two or three of us have this exalted, uh, AC certified biblical counselor certification. I'm saying that with some kind of intended humor, but uh, but I find an interesting thing happening is that sometimes, and I just talk to men primarily, but um, sometimes a man will call me and say, so I need to talk with you, you know, could I just meet with you? And I say, sure. And so, you know, I've got on my cape and my BC biblical <laughs> counselor, and I'm gonna go in and uh, I'm your, I'm your deliverer, your, uh, and a couple of times, a couple of guys have said, uh, uh, could you maybe just be my friend? Uh, you know, I don't really need more counseling. I've had a lot of that. Just uh, could you be my friend? And I'm not denying that there's not a time for precise biblical counseling. You know, here's the problem, here's the biblical input and solution. But I, I wonder how many times um, we just need to be friends of people. And particularly when people are going through times of distress and suffering, to just, well, these guys had it right. They sat with him on the ground and didn't say anything. They were just present with him. Well, um, by the way, God didn't agree with these, with the approach these men took. Look at the, at the epilogue in chapter 42. And this is God. Oops. This is this is God's opinion of these men in chapter 42, verse 7. So now 40, 42:7 is the beginning of the epilogue. So now we get more information that's not part of the story and not not part of the of the drama. So verse 7. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends. For you have not spoken to me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt sacrifice and he'll pray for you and you know, you're gonna be okay. But um, isn't that interesting that the reason that God was angry over the, my anger burns against you because what you've said about me is not right. Now, they said a lot of things about God that was right. I mean, they, everything they say is not heresy. They said a lot of things about God that was right. And that was right about this behavior consequence connection. But the problem is they didn't apply it in the right way to that particular situation. They assumed that they knew what was going on behind the scenes. and uh, But they didn't. And they jumped to that conclusion. And, so we got 39 chapters of that kind of, 37 chapters of that, of that kind of thing. So it just reminds me as a, you know, as for all of us, as we, as we try to minister and care for one another, well, let's be friends first and sit with people, particularly uh, our friends that are going through suffering and trials and not assume that there's a behavior consequence connection. There may be, but 
oftentimes there's friction on. Okay, and I think I'll stop. It's, I've been doing this 30 minutes, so what? you have a comment or observation so far as we look at this book? Christy, what do you think? We're in the middle of reading this week, but we found something kind of interesting about what we thought. He, in verse 8 of chapter 5, he says, But as for me, I would seek God, and to God I would commit my cause. Of feeling good, not if I were in the position, I would be just in that. It was probably, I was kind of like, ooh, that's probably not the best. Okay. <laughs> yeah, good point. Anyway, I think the counseling realm has a lot to learn from, yeah. from the, or the helping realm has a lot to learn from this, from this book. I hope that we learn it. Okay, so I'm going to quote Michael Fox again. That the ignorance of God's ways and purposes is a precondition for piety. Or for Job to endure through this and not know. Now he didn't get it all right. You know, he messed up some and he had he challenged God and and uh, he seemed to have some, some struggles himself. But in the end he did. We'll see that in a, in a few minutes perhaps. He got, you know, his perception of God got straightened out because God straightened it out. Um, and, he, and his, his thinking about God was right. So God is indeed good and his purposes will be accomplished in the end. But this journey must be lived by embracing the mystery and the wonder of life in this world. So the great, I read this from somebody, the great contribution of the book of Job is that it places us in a dilemma to teach us about our own limitations. And so if we don't know, maybe one of our other ways, if we don't know by experience and, and learning, another way to learn is by faith. So here's what the writer says about that. Faith seeks understanding. And faith builds on understanding where it is granted. But faith does not finally depend on understanding. Faith takes us into realms where explanation fails us at least it fails us for the present so we should have faith in God and we should seek understanding through our faith but he may not choose to give us the understanding that was with Job wasn't it at first at least he didn't in fact he, he God never gave Job understanding about what happened behind the scenes I guess he knows now but he didn't God never gave that to him so faith that's this test of piety again. Faith in God takes us to realms maybe we haven't been before because we have to trust in the goodness of God and His sovereign care for us. Uh, we know from God's Word that He is not irrational and capricious, but sometimes it sure seems that way. I told you the story about the, the, uh, the man who wrote uh, Mark Volkrop. Volk. Christy has that Volkrop? Yeah wrote the book on, uh, on lament and the, the uh, occasion that, that brought that book about was a miscarriage uh, with his wife and like in the eighth month I think it was something really very sad and they got back in the car and he said how are you doing and she said well I know that God is good but it doesn't feel like it right now 
that's a simple statement, but that's kind of the, the summary of how we of how we must acknowledge God's goodness and trust trust in Him. But God is a wise creator and is able to restore order to our lives and to His world whenever He chooses to. In the meantime, we must daily acknowledge that we serve a God whose understanding greatly exceeds our own and not demand that we have this understanding. Okay. Uh, there's Job's, the next point to, there's Job's, uh, again, let me give you an opportunity to speak if you'd like to, if you want to add a perspective or experience. Okay. Rob? Yeah, well, um, you know, when we talk about the problem of evil, the problem of evil, um, it's interesting, I think, that when you look at so much of Scripture, whether it's, again, talking about faith, James says, consider all joy. Um, the, the Beatitudes, you know, blessed are those who are persecuted for, mind, for righteousness' sake. That, you know, I think that in this time and era of this cultural Christianity, we've been kind of sold a bill of goods where Christianity basically solves your problems. And, and God is a God of all comfort, and the expectation is, is that if I'm a Christian in America, then life should be the American dream, it should be good, it should be comfortable, that problems should be fixable and quick, and we should have this pretty much, you know, um, the blessed life and heaven too kind of mentality. And yet, you know, we, we think about theology again, that we are fallen creatures, we live in a fallen world, we're in this battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil, and things like this with Job happens in other places as well, and just in our own lives. It seems like in the past, the church was much more familiar with suffering and struggles and disappointment and hardship and the hard providences, you know, they used to call them. And so in the church, we are very, and I said, I don't say we, but the corporate we, in the larger church, I think it sh shies away from talking about again the possibility, you know, I mean, Job's life. When we talk about, it, you know, when, when he loses everything. I mean, it's not just like, oh, I have a little, I have boils in my body. You know, he, his kids get all killed. Um, all his possessions are gone. I mean, he's totally wiped out. And and so it's interesting again that as a Christian, thinking about as as I seek to be faithful to God and trust God that. The things that God allows in my life that are going to be very, very hard and difficult, not being shocked by that, not that I want that necessarily, but when it does happen, especially persecution for the faith, I just think there's a, the Bible talks about a lot of things that in the American church, we just have very little familiarity with, or, the, or when it does happen under God's sovereignty, we really wrestle with it a lot, because again, we have neglected the the difficulties of, of, of discipleship that is not attractive to modern sensibilities. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? It does. It's kind of an evangelical prosperity gospel. Yeah. Okay. And Job whacks out all the pieces when we, when we receive what he has to say. Yeah, thank you, Bob. Okay, so the next point is Job's lament. We won't go into that in detail. He, he pretty much says in this chapter 3, I wish I was dead. I wish I never had been born. And then these speeches. Um, there's three cycles of the speeches. Each one of them has um, one of Job's friends, 
giving his opinion of Job's problem and maybe a solution to it. Then Job replies, you can see Eliphaz chapters four and five and Job seven, six and seven. And the first two cycles go are the same. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar with Job's replies. The second cycle is the same as the first. The third, the third cycle is a little bit different. It just has Eliphaz and Bildad. Uh, so far, it doesn't show up. He's not in this in this third cycle. So the Bible scholars say, "Oh, what's you know what's happened? This shows some kind of distortion in the text or something." But it appears that maybe what's happened is. Um, let's see, I made a note about that. It may be just because the narrator who's putting this story together says this isn't going anywhere so I'm stopping we're not going to keep bringing up these discussions it breaks down and accomplishes nothing um, one writer said the dialogues between Job and his friends closes with the friends confused and Job is miserable as ever <laughs> so it doesn't go anywhere and so you will hope that it'll go somewhere after that um, so these cycles of speeches that they continue because they had this, the wisdom poem, Job's final defense, and Elihu's speeches before you get to God's speeches. Um, Christopher Ashe is an author that I've discovered. He's written a book, uh, Crossway publishes it. It's called uh, Job, the Wisdom of the Cross. Now, it's come greatly encouraged, uh, referred to others uh, by me, so I'm looking forward to, to reading that. Um, at the end of his little introductory stuff, he says, he makes two observations about the book, uh, the book of Job, and especially about these, uh, uh, these speeches. One, he says, uh, Job is a very long book. <laughs> Brilliant, isn't he? His point is, uh, because the speeches were so difficult and so such take so much energy to read. He said, I, I know some preachers, they preached a couple of chapters, a couple of sermons from the first two, two maybe a summary of the middle, you know, the speeches, and then they do another uh, sermon at the end. Um, and he pretty much says, uh, don't you dare skip those speeches. They're, God has given us 42 chapters. They're all inspired, and we must assume that there's something in each one of them uh, for us. And the point that he makes is, as we've already begun to say, is that the kinds of questions that we go through when we're going through times of suffering, um, they can't be answered, uh, as he says, they can't be answered on a postcard. And the very, the very structure of the book is, the, is that message, that when somebody's going through a difficult time of suffering and, and a dilemma, maybe um, challenging their faith in God, uh, you don't give them three points in a poem and say, call me tomorrow, you'll be fine. You, you, uh, you sit with them and you live with them and you realize it takes, uh, takes time to do that. God has given us 42 chapters and invites us on a long, slow-paced journey, often with long and unexpected delays, and there is no satisfactory bypass. So I just encourage us to keep this in mind in our own times of difficulty and suffering and then particularly as others are going through that through the times of grief or, or suffering to to realize it takes uh, takes time i think about 
Um, Jack Palmer, Jack Palmer's wife, Dorota, died August 2022. So he's fit, what, 16 months. And he's still, that's what he wants to talk about when I talk to him. And you know, I want to say, Jack, come on, man, time to move on. But he's not ready to move on. And I think about my dear friend Ralph Ballstead. Yep, let's see, you're here, aren't you? He still loves to talk about your mother, Judy. And he's worked through the harsh griefness and grief, but he hadn't worked through missing her and loving her and caring for her. And that was, what, 11, 10 or 11, 12 years ago, yeah. So let's be patient with ourselves and with helping, helping others. Now, well, we can't get stuck in grief, can we? And maybe there's a reason for that. We need to help, help each other move on if that's the case, but, but grief takes a long time. So that's one point he makes. Job is a very long book. The second point is most of Job is poetry. <laughs> well, he's making some points, obviously. Job is a blend of the affective, that is, touching our feelings, and the cognitive addressing our minds, and poetry is particularly suited for this balanced address to the whole person. Um, so I don't know if you remember, I, I made a commitment to try to learn more about poetry, or to read more poetry when we got into Ecclesiastes. And I haven't done it very well, but I have bought two books, uh, Calvinist, Calvinist Poetry and then maybe the best known poet of the Reformation is uh, uh, George Herbert. And I made a commitment to read poetry every other morning so today's the seventh. I haven't done too well on it, but it is so hard. I think I should go to the, to the Wiley Library, you know, poetry reading night or something, just to hear people read poetry. And, but I want to, I, I want to grow in that uh, because poetry doesn't lend itself to summing up in tidy propositions, bullet points, and neat systems, and well-swept answers. That's what I like. I like things packaged up real clearly and and. Uh, but life doesn't work that way. Obviously, the Lord said the portrait would be the best way uh, to, uh, uh, to get through this. So I'm looking forward to uh, This is a great book. It, uh, Crossway, if, if you become a Crossway member, you know, join their club, there's no strings attached. You get 30% off of every book. So if you want a good, a good commentary, that may be one for you to, for you to have. Okay, so let's uh, kind of wrap this up here. Um, the wisdom point. Uh, turn to Job 28. I just want you to see it for just a, a moment. Oops. So the Bible scholars say, why? What is this here for? You know, why is it? It's not, you think it might be part of the speeches that, get, that God makes to, to Job, but here it is uh, before that. Uh, but it is a beautiful poem, and we won't go through a, a lot of it. Um, but it's, the point is um, that uh, there's jewels and treasures hidden in the, in the earth, and man knows how to go get them, but not, with, not so with wisdom. Wisdom is hidden, and only God only God is wise, and so he's the, he's the only source of wisdom. This is what we saw in the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Um, 
So one, one writer said, this hymn functions to judge the friend's rhetoric, which has grown stern, as failing to lead Job to wisdom and prepares the way for Yahweh to speak. So maybe it's kind of a, an interlude there. In Job's final defense, and then uh, Elihu. Elihu is the, the fourth friend, and uh, he's different from the rest of them. He's not mentioned in the prologue, he's not mentioned in the epilogue, but he goes on for seven chapters. He's a young guy, and he said, I've been just watching, I've been listening to you elder wise people, and uh, I figured y'all probably had answers, but you don't. Y'all are just a bunch of idiots. Um, one, he was a bombastic, angry young man. Um, so one writer said, Elihu is an irascible, presumptuous blowhard. So what's his purpose? I, I don't know, maybe we'll learn that as, as we get there. Um, I think I, I said he was seven, he, go, he goes six chapters. He doesn't add much to the story. Uh, he does uh, condemn Job and he justifies, he, he justifies God. So maybe it serves as a way to kind of prepare uh, prepare for uh, for God to speak, prepare Job for God to speak to him. Well, I think we're about out of time. Uh, maybe just to finish up the outline there. There's God's speeches. I have a wonderful quote, but I'm not going to give it to you. Because uh, <laughs> it's so good. I want us to discover it. Uh, and then the, the epilogue. So we'll look at, we'll start with the but that won't take us long to do the setting and the author, that kind of thing. And then we'll look at what are the questions that the book of Job answers, what are the, yeah, what are the questions and answers involved in the book of Job? By the way, you might, here's a, a word you can look up. Um, theodicy. You can look that up and we're gonna, we're gonna ask is Job a theodicy? Okay, so that'll be an exciting thing to do next week. So is, is the form there? Okay, good. All right. Well, thank you for being here, and you're dismissed.